you're new here, um, we love Jesus, and we're not ashamed of it, right? Uh, he's done so many good things in our life, and we are excited. You know, just like I'm assuming the Bills are playing later on today, and people get excited about sports teams. Bills never did nothing for you. In fact, they took away from you, right? We all know that. But we still cheer, and we're still excited about the Bills, and we love the Bills. Well, Jesus does amazing things for us constantly throughout our life. He gives us a reason to be alive. And so because of that, we rejoice exuberantly because of his goodness in our life. Amen? And you could experience that kind of relationship with Jesus as well. That's not just for certain people or special people, although I like to think that I'm special. Uh, it's not just for some people. It's for everybody. Everybody can experience that covenant with Jesus. Amen? All right, well, let's pray this morning. Um, I want to teach a little bit, and I loved where we went this morning in worship, um, just because I feel like um, ever since fasting and prayer, I've had this intensity on, on myself, so me first, and then also I feel it in, in terms of us as a ministry and humanity in general, is that there is a, a confident responsibility that we have as we step into what God is asking us to do. That there is a, yes, God has a part, right? And how many of you are thankful that God, he plays the bigger role than me, right? That he makes up for my shortfallings, that like the Apostle Paul said, that I glory in my weakness because it's in my weakness that his strength and his goodness is made perfect. And so it's not that I'm here trying to make us feel like we have to make our lives happen on our own, but what we're gonna talk about this morning is that I have a part. You have a part, and chances are, I mean, if God is perfect, chances are if we are not experiencing what God has promised to us, I'm going to go ahead and say it's probably not God, right? I, I, I mean, I think I can pretty confidently say that. It's probably not God that's the one that's trying to keep it, and it's not necessarily even that it's us, but we're going to talk about this morning that there is a intensity. There is a, I, I preached about it last time I was up here, you know, the kingdom suffers violence, and the violent ones take it by force. There is an intensity. There is an intentionality to which we approach the kingdom of God so that I can experience experience everything that God has for me. As you can tell, I'm a little bit excited. I'm going to try and keep it cool. I preached on Friday, and I got a little frog in my throat, um, so we're going to try and keep it as, as low for as long as possible, right? We know it's not going to stay low, but we're going to try and stay as low as possible for as long as possible. So Heavenly Father, this morning, we come before you humbly, Lord, because we know that it's in you we live and we move and we have our being, that it's, that like we sing, that to you and from you come all things, Lord, that it's, it's you. Everything begins with you and ends with you. You said you are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the creator of heaven and earth. And this morning, Heavenly Father, our desire is that we would learn even just a little bit more to align ourselves even just a little bit more to your plans, to your purposes for us here on earth. We know that you have called us to be world changers, that you've given us the gospel to change the world. You've given us your spirit to give us power. And we thank you for that this morning. Lord, let your anointing come in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So like I said this morning, I want to take a little bit of time and talk to us about this, this understanding that there is an intensity to which uh, we must approach our Christianity. Um, I think for a long time, uh, and, and not that these people were necessarily bad, but I think that for a long time, people in the church had this idea that, you know, 
we just kind of get to sit back and kick back, relax a little, hop in my lazy boy chair, and God, hallelujah, Jesus, right? That God is going to just show up and make things happen in my life. And while I do agree that, you know, God is amazing, and there are some times when I don't deserve things, and they happen for me, um, but I don't think that that's God's design. I, I, when I look at my daughter uh, right now, because she's two weeks old in like two days, I will happily hold her bottle for her so that she can eat. Um, but when she turns 15, uh, how many of you know that it'd be a little strange if Dada was still holding her bottle, right? And I think that that's the way that God is, is that God will give us in the, our, the beginning of our relationship but God is always asking through the scriptures for us to be mature sons and daughters. That there is a ownership, there is a responsibility that I take on for the success and the progression of my life. Okay? And, and sometimes that can feel a little countercultural because we're like, oh, you know, it's, it's because of God that I'm a success. And, you know, everything I have is in God. And it's, yes, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to say that we become our own source. God is always our source. He is always the source of our strength. He is always the source of our power. But, but I play a part, right? I, there is a, I have a self-confidence in me. Not that it's me alone, but I'm confident of the God that's in me has the ability to make things happen. And so he's going to make things happen through my hands, through my feet, through my abilities. And that's how my life is going to move forward. One of the very first things that we have to understand is as we talk about this concept of stepping into our place of responsibility is, number one, I have to understand God and God's nature because I'll never hope in somebody who I don't know, right? Like if I meet you for the very first time, I'm not going to look up your phone number so that I could call you to help me fix my flat tire, right? That's just not going to happen because I don't know you. I don't know if I could trust you. I don't know where you live. But if it was my dad or my mom or my wife or Mike or Jess or somebody that's in my family, they would be the first people that I would call because I know their nature and I understand that they would be willing at any moment to drop whatever they're doing, well, most of the time, uh, but to come and help me to, you know, fix my flat tire, whatever I need. And so when we're talking about hope and we're talking about hoping in a God and a God of where I believe in miracles, um, I have to first understand that I, I have to do business with this idea of do I actually hope and trust in God? Okay, because when we say I believe in miracles, uh, it's not that we necessarily believe in just miracles, right? I don't believe that a miracle just pops out of the sky one day that hopefully maybe as I'm walking forward, I'll meet, you know, my fairy godmother and she'll tap me with her fairy wand and all of my dreams will come true. That's not what we believe. But when I say I believe in miracles, what I'm actually saying is I believe in the God who does the miracles. You know what I'm saying? And so the very first thing that I have to understand is, is if I'm going to press on towards what God is asking me to do, I have to make sure that I could trust the God that I'm laying my life down and serving, yeah. okay? And I'm not going to teach about that this morning. I was only saying that to say, you need to do that before you could do what I'm about to teach you in my message, okay? Everybody understand? And so we're going to talk this morning from Philippians chapter 3, um, because I love the Apostle Paul uh, because he, uh, he went through a lot of stuff, you know, and he went through a lot of bad stuff. I think that sometimes we can forget the fact that people who change the world, they always go through seasons of difficulty. Can I get an amen? That people, that was a weak amen, folks. Come on. You know I like the audience participation. I said, could I get an amen? 
All right, that's the intensity I'm looking for the whole time, okay? So I realized that people who change the world, they aren't these people who just live on easy street, right? It's the people who change the world aren't just the people who don't have to deal with difficulties. They're not the people who don't have to deal with problems or situations or challenges. The people who change the world are the people who, in the midst of their difficulty, in the midst of their problem, in the midst of things not working out time and time again, they are the people who are able to continue to rise to the occasion to hope for, to press on, and to work towards what God has asked them to do. Yeah. Right? We've never heard a story about somebody who did something amazing that they didn't come from a very humble and challenging beginning. We talk about these people, Bill Gates, we talk about Steve Jobs, we talk about these people, and, and you know, the beginning of their story, a lot of the times we forget about it because we get enamored by the fact that they have these, you know, billion dollar companies, now Apple is a trillion dollar company, right, if you didn't know that. But when you look at Steve Jobs' beginning, it was, he was some guy in a basement who built a company, then got fired from his company that he built, Right? So we realize that it's not that people who do great things, that it's not that they don't go through problems. It's that people who do great things for God, they understand how to rise to the occasion. They understand how to come back from being knocked down. They understand how to rise again from a challenging situation. And so this is where we were with the Apostle Paul because I think that sometimes we can forget that almost, I, I think it's every single person in the Bible who does anything great for God, they always go through a season of challenge. And so sometimes we think about this chapter, you know, the, the book of the Bible, Philippians, right? And, you know, we all know Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. And, and we, we, if you read through the book of Philippians, you'd think as though Paul was writing this book from his mansion, you know, that's set up on a hill somewhere as he's secluded and living in the great blessings of God. But that's not actually the truth. The truth is if you read in, the very, in, in Philippians chapter one, you realize he opens up the book by letting you know that he's currently in chains. He's currently under arrest. I think in the book of Philippians, he's under house arrest at this point. But yet in the midst of the difficulty, he's able to see his destiny. Right. In the middle of his problems, he's able to remind us of the promise. And I think that there's something that we can learn from the Apostle Paul as he shows us and lays this map out for us to understand how do I walk through difficult situations even though I'm experiencing them. So everything Paul tells us about getting a miracle is active. It's active. He uses words that we're going to read like press on. What? I mean, that's an that's a active word. How many of you, if you're pressing on, there's something that's pressing against you, yeah. right? That if you, he uses the word pursue, right? Pursue means, you know, like you're in hot pursuit of something. That means that thing that you're trying to grab is just seems like it's always out of reach. He uses words like to, to what, what was the other word? To prevail to the end. How many of you know if you're prevailing, you're not like skipping down the yellow brick road, right? I, that's not the word that you'd use if you were living in the land full of butterflies and rainbows. But Paul tells us that the key, the secret to getting our miracle is my ability to walk through, like, this, like Psalm 23 says, to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. 
I think that sometimes what happens is we camp out there longer than we were destined to be there. How many of you know God walks us through difficult situations because there's things in us and around us that he's got to get off of us, but he never means for us to stay stuck in the valley of the shadow of death. His desire is that he would take us through into our place of promise. And so let's, let's read really quick. As you could tell, I failed at staying calm. Because um, I'm excited because how many of you are believing for something? And I feel like when I get to the word, when I get to the scripture, it's like I come back home. It's like it brings me back to my center to remind me that God is not worried about my problems. That God is not challenged by my situations. That God is not afraid of my issues. That God does his greatest works at my lowest points. So Philippians 3 verse 12 says this, not that I have already attained or that I'm already perfect. And so he's letting us know, hey, hey, I'm able to do these things not because I'm so good, not because I'm perfect. He's letting us know that this isn't something because I'm the apostle Paul. He's reminding us, no, 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 I'm just a normal human being. He says, not that I have already attained or that I'm perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of for me. He says, brethren, I do, mind, do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, this is what we're going to focus on today. Turn to your neighbor and say, one thing I do. One thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those to which are ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Not that I have attained, but I press on. Forgetting what lies behind, I press on. You see, one of the things that I've discovered in, in my ability, my opportunities that I have had to be able to interact with people, ministers, people in the church, people outside of the church, um, is that the biggest area of challenge that most people experience and feel comes from their past. Isn't it funny how we can go through things in our past and our past can paint a very vivid picture of what our future is gonna look like? You ever notice that? You ever said something like, you know, something happens to you and you're like, ah, figures. You ever notice we have things in our English language that are like that? that it's almost as though we're expecting the bad thing to happen. And then when the bad thing happens, it's almost as though we find comfort in it because it's a very comfortable place that we live in. Is anybody familiar with that? It's like pulling up to a red light. You know, I have that thing and I'm really desperately, you know, I think I've been talking about this for two years now and I'm happy to report that I'm no better than I was two years ago. <laughs> but I tell you, flowing from my house to the church, there's four red lights. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's one of those things. Some people get green lights. I happen to get red lights. I don't know why it's God working on my patience. I do know why. I stopped praying for patience because I realized I'm just failing all the time, okay? So, so it's like that. It's like when I pull up to a red light, I have to fight the urge to have this response. Not figures. I always get stuck at red lights. Usually it's more aggressive than that. Normally it's I, I hate the town or I hate 
cars or people. It, it's, it escalates pretty fast to that level. Uh, but it, it, it really comes out of my, my heart because it's almost as though I'm expecting those things to happen. You ever have that where you watch some, a, a child maybe and they fall off of their bicycle and then they don't want to get back on because they're using their past event to paint a picture for their future, right? Everybody's been there before. A child touches a stove and because so now they're afraid of the stove, right? We have all of these things and I think that sometimes we forget that as adults, we really are the same as we were when we were children. In fact, human nature is programmed to seek after pleasure and retreat from pain, right? That's literally built into our, like the very code of our DNA. That's why it's easier to sit on the couch than it is to go to the gym, right? Right? That's why it's easier to eat sugar and chocolate than it is to eat a, you know, a raw lump of kale, right? Because it's more enjoyable. It feels better to go after something that feels good than it does to go after something that's challenging. In fact, the majority of the world, I think that marketing in general nowadays is designed around helping people find ways to make their life even more comfortable. You notice that? Everything is more comfortable. Now, you know, there, we got those Casper beds. Casper, I would love a free bed for this promo. But you have these things, right? You don't even have to go to the store anymore, like Amazon Prime, right? I don't even have to go to the store anymore. I could just order something on, on Amazon Prime, and it will show up at my house probably the very next day. Everything in our life is, is designed towards helping us to live more comfortable, but Paul paints a very different picture on how I get to my promise. In fact, the majority of his life is spent in uncomfortable situations. We read about it all the time. We read about, you know, he, he says, well, I was shipwrecked, and I was beaten, and I was stoned, and I was clubbed, and I was left for dead, and I was thrown in jail, and I was betrayed. And I, we read about these things, but yet at the same time, we look at his life and realize he was one of the most, in, in fact, he was the most instrumental person in getting the gospel to the Gentiles, right? Like, I wouldn't have received the gospel if it wasn't for the Apostle Paul. And so I realize it's almost as though there is a correlation between my ability to go through challenging, uncomfortable situations and my ability to do great things for God, I'd ask for amen, but I'm going to let that sink in for a moment. I mean, when we even look at the example of Jesus, how many of you know that, I think about this all the time, God was the one who came up with the whole plan, right? He was the one who said that you had to sacrifice in order for sins to be forgiven. You, you know that? That the blood had to be spilled. That wasn't like God didn't step into a plan where that law was already in existence. He created that plan. So if you wanted to be redeemed, you needed to, basically it was a life for a life. You see you know what I'm saying? God made that plan. So essentially, he, because this is what I would have done, right? If it was me, I would have known that I'm going to have to you know, because God knows everything. He knows he's going to create man. 
He knows it's not going to take long for man to mess up. And because of that, man is going to need a sacrifice. And so if it was me, and I knew that I was going to have to send my only begotten son to redeem this world, I would have said, here's what you have to do to be redeemed. You have to eat a gallon of ice cream. I know it's going to be hard, but you got to eat. But you see, that wasn't God's, it wasn't God's plan. God was the one who set up the law that Jesus would have to fulfill to give his life in order to redeem us. God is not bothered by uncomfortable situations, right? God, that's why, like I said, if you pray for patience, right? It, it, God isn't just like, oh, thank you, Alex, and here is the magical pill for patience. Just pop that under your tongue and call me in two days from now. It should work just fine, right? God doesn't do that. God, when we pray for patience, what does God do? God gives us opportunities to be patient. That's like you ever pray, you know, Lord, help me love my spouse, right? I tell you, you pray that prayer, and it's as though it's the most challenging thing to, like, they have never been so rude as they are now, right? Why? Because God is constantly interested in helping us to grow, to become the mature sons and daughters of God, right? Why? Because the earth is groaning and waiting and travailing for the mature ones, the ones who understand, like the Apostle Paul, how to go through the difficult situations, the ones who understand how to press on through their problems. The earth is waiting for these people. I'm not soft. I don't want to be soft. I don't want to be weak. I don't want to be a victim. I don't want to be bothered. No, I want to be like the Apostle Paul. I want to know. I want to press on. I want to be able to, in my darkest moments, I want to be able to see the light that's shining through. That's what I want. It's like in Paul's life, the darker it got, the brighter he became. And so this is the thing, and we all have these things. We all have these things behind us. We all have these situations that we've gone through that would try to or desire to hold us back. We've all had our fall off the bike moments. Maybe you never fell off of your bike, but we had that. Maybe you started a business. Maybe you had a relationship and you got divorced. Maybe, you know, your children are astray. Maybe, maybe a thousand things. Maybe you spent the last six months depressed in your bed. There's things behind us. But the Apostle Paul is reminding us that we don't have to be prisoners to our past. You don't have to let yesterday affect your tomorrow any longer. And so how does he do this? How does he do this? Because this is the question. How does he do this? Because this is what I want to know. If he had this amazing ability in order to help me to get through my difficult situations, I mean, it's pretty clear that Paul had a formula. Because every book that he writes, he's always writing from a place of despair but yet the despair doesn't seem to really get anything more than kind of an honorable mention. You know, it's kind of like he opens up his letter, he opens up his book with this thing, you know, I'm Paul and I'm in chains, right? And that's about it. Then he goes on to talk about how good God is and everything that God wants to do and how we can be overcomers and change the world. So he, excuse me, he understood something. He had a formula on how to succeed. So what's the very first thing that he understood how to do? Number one, you can write this down because we're all going to need this. Paul understood how to praise. He knew how to 
praise. You know, the Bible calls it a sacrifice of praise. It seems kind of like an oxymoron, you know, because like praise is exciting. It's happy. It's joyous. It's, you know, when the Bills win a game, you know, it's like totally unexpected. And now we are rejoicing, right? You with me? There's really probably no Bills fans in here because they don't know that it's really a rare occasion, right? But it's became like this weird concept to me of like the sacrifice of praise. Why is that? You know why it's like that? Because most of the times that we actually need to praise. You ever notice that? Oh, man. You ever notice when you're in a bad mood? It feels so much better to complain than it does to praise. Right? Isn't that right? Like, I'm looking for somebody not so that I could tell them how good God is, but I'm looking for somebody so that I could tell them how bad my problem is. Or how about self-pity? You know, self-pity is this amazing thing. It's like the pity party that really nobody should ever go to. You know, it's the pity party that never ends in anything exciting. It always ends in something worse. But somehow, I think we've convinced ourselves in our culture that my pity party is actually going to lead me to an actual party. I mean, maybe the pity parties that you go to end that way. I've never gone to a pity party that ended in anything other than me pitying myself and being pitiful, right? That's why the Bible says that it's a sacrifice of praise because it's going to cost me something. In the moment when I need to praise, it's going to cost me more sometimes than I feel like I'm willing to give. You know when that thing happens and that problem keeps popping itself up and it's like I can't get away from the problems? That moment when praise is the thing that's going to get me free, I don't feel like praising. That's why the Bible says it's a sacrifice of praise because I got to muster myself up. I got to sometimes like Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane when he's looking at the sacrifice and there's nothing in the world he would rather do less than go to the cross, but he realizes this is the only way to accomplish the destiny and the goal that God has. So I'm willing to pay the price. I'm willing to sacrifice because I understand that praise, like the song says, praise is the highway to the throne of God. Praise. You ever done that before? My sister Jess is awesome for this. She does this at behind the pulpit all the time. She'll like be, you know, just laugh, you know, ha ha, you know, let's just laugh. I remember we went to, uh, we played a, a, a worship night in uh, New York or Long Island and Jess did this, and she's like, let's just laugh, ha, ha, ha. And to us, it's pretty common because we're like, we know, we get it. But they were kind of like, what? Like, ha, ha, this is so strange. But I tell you something, you, if you fake laugh, you know, ha, 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 right? It's not long before that, you, you know, maybe it's that you feel like this is so stupid. And because I feel like this is so stupid, it actually becomes funny, right? It's not long. I tell you something, it, oh, Praise will always change your mood. Yeah. Praise will always give you the right perspective. 
I tell you something, I could be going through the darkest, most challenging problems in my life, and it literally is like 10 seconds of praise, and it's like my attitude begins to change. It's like I remind myself of how good God is. I remind myself, like David, of the lion and the bear. I remind myself of how God got me through it last time. I remind myself of the last thousand miracles that God did for me. I remind myself, and what does it do? It changes me on the inside. It arises the true me. The real me, the me who believes in God, the me who believes in miracles. Praise opens myself up to that. But in Isaiah 61.3, it tells me this. It says, put on, put on, put on the garment of praise. I got to put on. You got to put on. We got to put on the garment of praise. Why? Because a lot of the times, we prefer to wear the garment of complaints. We prefer to wear the garment of issues. We prefer to wear the garment of blaming. I prefer, but the, what the Bible is telling me is this. My complaints can never get me out of my problems. I can't complain myself to freedom. I can't pity myself to my promise. I just can't do it. But if I will choose to put on the garment of praise, what? It lifts off the spirit of heaviness. It's like one choice breaks me free from all of my problems. So what? Put on. I got to choose. I got to put it on. I got to make a sacrifice of praise. And this is what Paul understood how to do. He understood how to be chained and beaten. He understood how to praise God from the water. He understood how to praise God with a snake bite. He understood how to praise God in the chains. He understood how to praise God in the jails. He understood how to praise God when it was up and praise God when it was down. His situation played no difference in his attitude towards what God could do. How I respond to my situation will determine how I get through it. I was learning, I was just preaching at a conference on Friday, and there was a guy there, he's from Bethel, and he's a children's, pa one of the main children's pastors, and he was talking about the law of first mention, and how there's actually a scientific law of what you hear first will determine your outcome. And he was talking about it from children. And he was saying how important it is to teach our children to be the first ones to talk about the internet and pornography and drugs and alcohol. Because he said, if your kids learn about pornography from the internet, that that's who they're gonna believe. And you're gonna come in and say that pornography is bad and they're gonna look at you like you're a liar because the internet told them first. The law of first mention also works in our situations and our problems. How I respond will determine how I get through. Proverbs, 28 says, Proverbs 18 says this, life and death are in the power of the tongue. When David went into battle with Goliath, he wasn't waiting to rejoice. He wasn't waiting for the victory to rejoice. But David ran into battle rejoicing for the victory that he knew was going to happen. So I run into my problems with rejoice. The second thing we have to do is this. Number two, you got to tune out the haters. Yeah. Turn to your neighbor and say, tune out the haters. Yeah. Turn to your other neighbor and say, haters going to hate. Okay? Yeah. People will always, can I say that? 
people will always try to tell you that you can't be, you can't have what God says you can have. Haters gonna hate. I'm not looking for somebody else to tell me that God is the God of miracles. I'm not looking, you know, I don't need you to agree with me. I don't need people to agree with me. I got the word. Why? Because sometimes, sometimes there's going to be people in my life who make it hard to believe. I'll say it nicely. Sometimes there's going to be people in my life who try to tell me that what I'm doing is foolish. It's stupid. It's hype. It's impossible. It's theatrics. It's religion. It's passed away. It's But Paul understood something. He understood how to, in the midst of all, I mean, because really it was like everybody hated Paul. But Paul understood, how do I tune it out? How do I keep my attention? How do I keep my focus on what God is saying? Because, you know, everybody is going to have haters, right? Everybody's going to have people who hate. I mean, like, let's take a look at King David, right? I mean, King David was probably, and I'm just about done. King David was one of the guys who did some of the most amazing things in the Bible. He's really, aside from Jesus, King David is basically my hero, right? I love him. I think he's amazing. But, I mean, King David had so many haters, you know? It was there like his life was full of people trying to tell him or make him feel as though what he was trying to do or thinking about doing was impossible, you know? Like, imagine that. Imagine there comes this great guy, this prophet, who's basically like Jesus of the time. You know what I'm saying? And, and he comes to your dad and he says to your dad, hey, bring all of your sons around here and I'm going to choose because there's going to be the next king who's going to come from your tribe, from your lineage. And your dad calls all of your brothers and totally forgets that you're one of the brothers, right? It's literally like he forgot that David even existed, right? Or that he felt so like absolutely nothing towards David at all that he's thinking, oh, it's surely not David, so I don't even have to call him. Just leave him out in the field because the there's no chance it could be him. David's life was full of it. I mean, when he went to, you know, we got to the battle and he's there, you know, he's talking about it and he's, you know, trusting that God is going to deliver them and he sees his brothers and his brothers tell him like, go home. They basically start mocking him as to why he's there. Right? And then we got King, you know, Goliath mocks him, right? And says, well, you know, basically that, who are you sending towards me? Like, this guy's like a little puppy dog compared to me. It's like you're mocking me. And then we have King Saul, who not only does David save the country for King Saul, but then King Saul doesn't, it's not long before King Saul is now trying to kill him. I mean, people, great people, there's always haters. I mean, sometimes I hate my iPhone, you know? R.I.P., Mr. Jobs, you know, God bless you. Thank you for what you did for us. But everybody's got haters. You'll never go anywhere in your life where everybody agrees. But what's the key? What's the key? Don't be the victim of your own story. Sometimes when people don't agree with us, when things are going our way, what? 
We want to become the victims of our own story. And number three, I'm done with this. Number three, I am not my source. I am not my source. What did Paul have? Paul had a perspective. He understood how to look at situations a particular way. He knew that although he may be in chains, that that was not the end of his story. He understood his perspective was that of that even though it seems impossible in the natural, I know that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He understood that he was not his source. God gives us opportunities to see our weakness so that through seeing our weakness, we can experience and become enlightened to God's greatness. God allows us to go through difficult situations. Why? So that he could crush us or beat us or because he's angry at us? No, he lets us go through difficult situations so that we can see how he truly is a God who can move the mountains. He truly is the God who can change the situations he truly is the God who can fix your problems I don't go through situations so that I could see my own vulnerability I go through situations so that I could see God's amazing supernatural ability we are not our source second Corinthians Paul says it like this I boast in my weakness because where I am weak he is strong life situations, issues, are always going to show us our weaknesses. But your weakness is not the end of your story. So I came here to say, let me prophesy to you. What is ahead of you is greater than what is behind you. What is ahead is greater than what is behind. I feel like if I could say anything today, today is the day where we learn how to hope again. Today is the day where I learn how to put my trust in God again. Today is a day where I pick up my dreams again. Today is a day where I let go of that problem again. Today is a day where I let go of that unforgiveness. I let go of that fear. I let go of that insecurity. I let go of those problems. I let go of those situations. I let go of those thoughts. Today is a day where I choose that I will hope again. Heavenly Father, this morning... Lord, in and out of every row, in every person's heart, we choose as an act of our will to loose trauma, fear, anxiety, nerves, pain, situations, problems, outcomes, issues. We choose to release insecurity, inferiority, we loose them from our soul right now. We declare we are not bound to anything that is of you. And we choose, Father, as an act of our will to bind to our souls hope. Hope in you. Hope in your plans. Hope in your promise. Hope in your ways. Hope in your miracles. Hope in your word. 
Lord, we declare that 2018 will be our best year yet, that it truly is our year of miracles. In Jesus' name.